This is Peter Hammond in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight, crisis, controversy, and Christmas. It's the season for controversy. To celebrate Christmas or not to celebrate Christmas? That is the question. How should we respond to the controversies concerning Christmas? How can we best use this festive season for effective evangelism and discipleship and worship? There is a tremendous need for discernment. We need to study the Word of God daily to see if these things are true. Nowhere in the Bible are we actually commanded to celebrate the Lord's birth, although we are commanded to remember his death. We're also commanded to apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. Rather than celebrate humanistic pagan festivals such as Halloween, May Day, Workers' Day, Youth Day, Women's Day, Freedom Day, etc., it certainly seems more appropriate to focus on essential doctrines such as the incarnation of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the authority of Christ, the power of Pentecost, Reformation Day, and other meaningful events of a Christian calendar. There is no doubt that the world has secularized and paganized and perverted and distorted everything it possibly can, including our churches and Christian holidays. That should not stop us, though, from seeking to disciple our children on a thoroughly biblical basis and to bring them up in the love and admonition of the Lord. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. We dare not allow ourselves to be distracted into fighting fellow Christians who are sincerely trying to honor the Lord in all areas of life. We cannot know another person's motives. Let us deal with the big issues and the facts. We're talking about thoroughly Christian festivals, celebrating the incarnation of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. These are great and important events in history, not only in the history of the church, but in world history, and they're vital doctrines for us to build our lives around. To integrate these doctrines into our calendar in a thoroughly Christian manner is not to celebrate a pagan festival. We must reject the world, not be conformed to this world, but of our minds renewed by the transforming of our minds through the renewing of God's word. We need to apply the lordship of Christ in a thoroughly biblical way in our lives and our families. We want nothing to do with the pagan trappings of secular holidays. What we should be celebrating are the truths and the doctrines of Scripture. So, Christmas is not about Santa Claus. It should be a festival of Christ, celebrating the advent, the coming of Christ, and the incarnation. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the reason for the season. The church needs a back-to-the-Bible reformation and spiritual revival, and so do our calendars. All too many people thoughtlessly adopt occultic calendar events like May Day and Halloween and celebrate humanistic holidays such as Women's Day and Human Rights Day and Youth Day. Let us rather celebrate things that are thoroughly Christian. Put Christ back into Xmas. But then you come across people who say, but Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December, was he? Now, the secularizers commonly defend the de-Christianization of Christmas by noting that our nation is much more diverse than it used to be, that we shouldn't offend others, and saying Merry Christmas might be bad for business, and that public 
Christmas observance might even violate some law, offend somebody. But then they deliver their crowning blow. Besides, everybody knows Jesus wasn't born in December. By saying everybody knows begs the question, just like saying all scholars agree, which defines anyone who doesn't agree as a non-scholar, all right-thinking people agree, and so on. At the risk of flying in the face of this collective modern wisdom, we suggest that there's a substantial, though not conclusive, evidence that Jesus was actually born in December. What does the Bible say about the date of Jesus' birth? Well, Luke 2 verse 6 tells us that the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So we assume that Jesus was a full-term baby born nine months after his conception. Luke one twenty six says the angel Gabriel announced the conception of Jesus to Mary in the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. So Jesus was conceived about six months after John the Baptist was conceived. So when was John the Baptist conceived? That is more difficult, but the scriptures suggest some answers. John's father was Zacharias, a Levite priest of the course of Abijah. That read in Luke 1 verse 5. According to 1 Chronicles 24, 7 to 19, King David had divided the priests into 24 orders, and these orders took turns serving in the temple for a period of eight days, twice a year, separated from their wives and their children. So during Zacharias and the other priests of the course of Abijah's uh, service during the 10th and the 24th weeks of the Hebrew calendar. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Zacharias while he executed the priest's office before the Lord in the order of his course, Luke 1 verse 8. That is, while he was performing his service in the temple. After his course of duty was concluded, he left the temple and he returned to his wife Elizabeth and John the baptizer was conceived. We read this in Luke 1, 23 to 24. So if this was after the second course, that is the 24th week of the year, John would have been conceived around September, October, and born around June or July. So Jesus' conception six months later would have occurred around March or April, and his birth around December or early January. There's no absolute certainty to this theory, especially given that the Hebrew calendar may have differed somewhat over the years from King David's time to Jesus' time, but based on the scriptural account of Zacharias' service in the temple, it is well within the realm of possibility that Jesus was born in December. Now, that's some biblical evidence. Here's some extra biblical evidence. St. John Chrysostom, the golden mouth, one of the greatest of the preachers of the 4th century, whose status in Eastern Orthodoxy is comparable to that of Augustine in the Western tradition. John Chrysostom, who was the pastor of San Sophie, the greatest church in the world at that time uh, in Constantinople, he argued strongly for a December the 25th birthday because of the course of Zacharias's priestly service. But he also based his conclusion on the findings of Bishop Julius of Rome. Bishop Cyril of Jerusalem, that's, he lived from 348 to 386 AD, or he rather he served as bishop from 348 to 386 AD. He had asked Julius to ascertain the date of Jesus' birth from the census documents brought by Titus to Rome after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Julius then determined the date of Christ's birth to be December the 25th. Bearing in mind they had access to documents we do not have access to. Julius, Cyril and Chrysostom were not alone in their reliance upon the census documents. Justin Martyr, who lived from 100 to 165 AD, in a detailed statement to the Christian faith addressed to the emperor, 
Marcus Aurelius stated that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as you can ascertain also from the registers of the taxing. This you read in Apology 134. Likewise, Tertullian, who lived from 160 to 250 AD, Tertullian, the great North African leader of the church, a great apologist, he wrote, The census of Augustus, the most faithful witness of the Lord's nativity, kept in the archives of Rome. This he wrote in his book, Contra Marcion, books 4 and 7. Unfortunately, we do not have access to these census records today. There's been a lot of wars and burning and destruction in the intervening centuries. But perhaps the better part of wisdom bids us to assume that these church fathers who had access to information that we do not now possess, that they actually knew what they were talking about. Well, some will say Jesus couldn't have been born in December because shepherds did not keep their flocks in a field past late autumn. But if you look at the book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, published in 1883, uh, written by Alfred Edersheim, a real classic uh, work, he cites ancient Hebrew sources to the effect that flocks of sheep remain open alike in the hottest days and the rainy season all year round. And that's in um, book two, page 186. There's also a special class of Levitical shepherds who kept sacrificial lambs in the field all year round because they were used for sacrifice every month of the year. Winters can be cold in Palestine, but they do vary greatly. And some Decembers have been rather mild. A recent study of stalagmites and stalactites in caves near Jerusalem strongly suggests that the average annual rainfall dropped nearly 50% from 3 feet in 100 AD to about 1.6 feet in 700 AD. So average winter temperatures may have varied as well. If Mary could have given birth to a baby in a Bethlehem stable in a cave, then hardy shepherds could have watched their flocks in the fields at the same time. Edersheim concludes there is no adequate reason for questioning the historical accuracy of the date of 25th December. The objections generally made on grounds which seem to me historically untenable. In other words, there's no good factual historical reason to doubt uh, the biblical account and the conclusions which have been made by people closer to the date. In the end, nobody's Christian faith should depend on whether December the 25th is the actual date of Jesus' birth nor do such questions give us any reason to take Christ out of Christmas. We would welcome any responses from anyone who can prove or disprove this thesis, but sometimes it's comforting, even fun to learn that the ancient scholars and the ancient traditions may have actually been right all along. Who knew about that? Well, Christmas is the greatest holiday in the year, celebrating the birth of the greatest person who ever lived. Yet, Every year, there are numerous high-profile attacks on Christmas as the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. There are also many insidious attempts to hijack Christmas. One such attempt has seen the many emails circulating concerning the real meaning and origin of the 12 days of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas are lovely, Carol, um, but um, according to this widely circulated email, from 1558 until 1829, Roman Catholics in England were not permitted to practice their faith openly. Someone during that era wrote this carol as a catechism song for young Catholics. It has two levels of meaning, the surface meaning plus a hidden meaning known only to members of the church. Each element in the carol is a code word for a religious reality which the children could remember. Well, the problem with this 
theory is it's based on a false premise. Roman Catholics were not persecuted for their faith in England during that time. They were not forbidden to practice their faith openly. The dates chosen are most interesting. 1558. What happened in 1558? Well, that's the year Bloody Mary died. Mary Tudor, the one who persecuted the church, the one who burned hundreds of Protestants at the stake. Um, and the day that the Catholic persecution of Protestants in England came to an end. So Mary Tudor was well called Bloody Mary because she repudiated the religious freedoms which her brother, King Edward VI, had instituted. Mary passed laws providing for Protestant heretics to be tried in church courts and handed over to the authorities for execution, burning at the stake. Hundreds of church leaders, including the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, who was very aged, grey-haired, and most prominent Protestant bishops like Hugh Latimer, and Nicholas Ridley, they were torturously burned at the stake. Bible translators like John Rogers, hundreds of other Protestants were condemned to death to be burned at the stake by these Catholic inquisitors. Mary even had her 16-year-old cousin, the Protestant Lady Jane Grey, beheaded. She gave her the chance to save her life if she would renounce her Protestant faith and embrace Catholicism. And you can read in Fox's Book of Martyrs of the courageous Lady Jane Grey, in how she answered the inquisitors and uh, outwitted some of the greatest minds in the Catholic Church in England with her courageous replies. She obviously knew the faith well, but she was beheaded. Imagine that her head was chopped off for refusing to renounce the Protestant faith. Now, all this ended in 1558. It's a fact of history. Religious persecution in England didn't begin in 1588, 1558, I should say. It ended with the death of Bloody Mary in that year. So when Mary Tudor died, 17th of November, 1558, and her half-sister, the Protestant Elizabeth I, came to the throne, religious freedom was established. So the legend being circulated throughout the internet, declaring that there was no religious freedom for Roman Catholics in England between 1558 and 1829, is ludicrous. The underlying meaning of the 12 days of Christmas is no doubt true. However, the reason suggested in the email is false. There's nothing in the underlying meaning of the 12 days of Christmas that Protestants did not accept, and which Roman Catholics could not openly celebrate during Christmas or any other time of the year in England. Protestants in England also worshipped Jesus Christ, believed in the Old and New Testaments, held to faith, hope and love, believed in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and the five books of the law, and the six days of creation, and the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the eight Beatitudes, and the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Ten Commandments, the eleven faithful disciples, and the twelve points of the Apostles' Creed. There's nothing distinctively Roman Catholic about those beliefs. There's nothing which Protestants would disagree within the message of the twelve days of Christmas. A half-truth is more dangerous than a lie. Isaiah 6 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. For those who banned the Bible, burned Protestant preachers and Bible translators, burned Bible translations, and suppressed religious freedom to dare to accuse the Protestants who introduced religious freedom of the kind of intolerance which they themselves have practiced, it's, it's hypocritical and it's abhorrent. To further suggest that Protestant Christians reject the Bible for which they were willing to give their lives and the teachings which they faithfully sought to apply to everyday life at the cost of their lives is bearing false witness against one's neighbor, even if it is one's 
ancient neighbors from centuries ago. But we should actually respond to anyone who forwards this disinformation about Roman Catholics in England not being permitted to practice their faith openly between 1558 and 1829 and give a few of these home truths and share this link with them. It is appropriate that the greatest holiday on calendars worldwide celebrates the birth of the greatest person who's ever lived. All charities and missions report that this is the best time of the year for donations. It's quite appropriate that so many good acts of charity and good neighborliness and friendship and generosity are expressed during the Christmas season to family, to friends, to neighbors, and to strangers. The official birthday of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is good reason to celebrate. We celebrate our own birthdays. We celebrate our nation's Independence Day. Why would we not want to celebrate the official birthday of our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord? It's time to put Christ back into Xmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. Wise men still seek him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth and even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. But, you know, we need to, aside from answering the controversies about Christmas, there's a crisis. And we've been in a state of emergency since the Garden of Eden. The crisis is sin. Mankind is living in rebellion to God. And, and we should be using Christmas not only to celebrate and to worship and to enjoy our great heritage, but also for evangelism. And the question we could be asking people is, do you remember whose birthday it is we're celebrating at Christmas time? You could be asking people, do you know what the reason for the season is? Here's another question you could ask people. What are you searching for? Is it fun, friends, fame, and fortune? Is it popularity, prestige, and power? Have you noticed the impressive large Christmas trees set up in many shopping malls? Surely you've noticed the beautifully wrapped presents piled up under most of the trees. You will see many children's eyes wide as they look at these bright, shiny, shimmering presents, often with attractive ribbons around them. Over the years, when my children were very young, they each asked, what's in those boxes? Well, the answer is, absolutely nothing. They are beautifully wrapped and they are attractively presented, but the presents under these Christmas trees in the shopping malls are all empty. The world offers so much, but in the end it turns out to be empty. The world, the flesh, and the devil promise you everything you could possibly desire. If only you will buy their product or their service, you've promised all the fun and fame and fortune you could desire, all the power popularity, prestige, and possessions your heart could desire. But, like those alluring and attractive-looking presents shimmering under the Christmas trees in the shopping malls, the promises of the world turn out to be, disappointingly, empty. For those who pursue materialism, they will find merry-go-rounds that get them nowhere, mazes that get them lost, dead-end streets that will frustrate their desires, Hedonism and existentialism proved to be short-sighted, meaningless, empty, and purposeless. 
What are you searching for? What is your purpose in life? What is in the boxes you've been obtaining from the world? Do not waste your life on the empty boxes of this world. The time-wasting treadmill of trends and fashions and fads are ultimately frustrating. Do not settle for less than God's very best. God gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search me with all your heart. You read that in Jeremiah 29 verse 30. You will seek me and you will find me when you search me with all your heart. Have you searched for the Lord? Have you sought his face with all your heart? What is your life's purpose? That's a good question to ask at this Christmas time. What is your life's purpose? What are you seeking for in life? What is your ultimate purpose? We are told in the Westminster Standards and the larger catechism to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our purpose on earth. Christmas should remind us of the danger of missing out on what is most important. We read in the Bible, Luke 2 verse 7, there was no room for them in the inn. Think about that. Missing the greatest opportunity of a lifetime. How must all those innkeepers of Bethlehem feel that they turned away the greatest man ever to be born? They had no room, no room for Emmanuel, God with us. They could not accommodate the creator, the eternal judge, before whom they will have to stand on the day of judgment. They missed the opportunity of all time. They could have welcomed the Holy Family, but they missed out. Our Lord Jesus was born in a stable in a cave amongst farm animals. Wise men traveled great distances in order to worship the King of Kings. The shepherds on the hillside came and they worshipped. But where was the mayor of Bethlehem? There's no indication that any of the elders or leading citizens of Bethlehem acknowledged the great event ever to occur in Bethlehem before or since. They missed out on the greatest opportunity and the greatest event ever. Where was the high priest? Where was King Herod? It is extraordinary to note that the entire priesthood of Israel, all the thousands employed at the temple, they all missed the birth of the Messiah. What was the existence except to serve God and to prepare for the coming of the Messiah? But as we read in John 1 verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. There was no room for him. At his birth, there was no room for Jesus in any of the homes or inns in Bethlehem. Today, there seems to be no room for Jesus at the UN. Nor is there space for Jesus in most of the Xmas cards, in most of the schools, in most of the music. Even nativity scenes are discouraged and in some cases banned in many cities around the world. Is there room in your heart for Jesus? Christmas is the season for giving. Why do we give and receive gifts at Christmas time? After all, it's not our birthday. Why do some people exchange their gifts on Christmas Eve while others do so on Christmas Day? Well, a biblical day began at sunset. God's day begins in darkness and ends in light. Today, with our electricity and clocks, we now calculate days from midnight to midnight. But so many days now begin in darkness and end in darkness. But biblically, as the sunset, a new day began. So the day would start, say, this evening, the new day begins and so on. So they they calculate days from sunset uh, to sunset, uh, whereas we do it from midnight to midnight. So Christmas Day, the 25th of December, biblically begins as the sun sets on Christmas Eve, the 25th of December. For this reason, many families, especially from Germanic and Nordic ancestry, Scandinavians, Germans, Austrians, Swiss, celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. 
Well, why do we give gifts at Christmas Eve? We give gifts at Christmas time to honor the greatest gift ever given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Freely, freely we have received. Freely, freely give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Yet, we still have many people who have not grasped this most basic truth of Christmas. To many, Christmas is a season for getting, not giving. Many of the hands out asking, where is my Christmas box? What do you have for me? Give me, give me, give me. Complete strangers seem to have no shame in demanding some gift for themselves on Christmas Day. We need to remind them whose birthday we are celebrating. In fact, the question should be, what gift are you going to give him on his birthday? The very first Christmas gifts were given by the wise men from the East. They traveled great distances across difficult and dangerous terrain in order to worship the greatest person ever born. They presented extraordinary gifts, gold for the king of kings, frankincense for the high priest of all high priests, myrrh for the sacrifice that would end the need for any other blood sacrifices. These men from the east were wise. They recognized when the Messiah would be born. They discovered where he would be born. And they came from Babylon and Persia, where Daniel had served, and were no doubt aware of the prophecies made by Daniel, which clearly identified when the Messiah would be born. And the gifts they brought were most appropriate. They recognized that this was not merely an heir to the throne, a prince being born. Where is he who has been born king, they asked. They recognized that gold was most appropriate for the king of all kings. And frankincense is symbolic of prayers and worship. So in presenting frankincense, they recognized that the Messiah would be high priest over all high priests. Myrrh was an ointment used for burial. Jesus Christ was coming as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At Christmas, we remember the crib. But we also need to look beyond the crib to the cross. The wood of the crib should remind us of the wood of the cross on which our Savior would die. A willing sacrifice for your sins and mine. But the wise men look beyond the wood of the crib and the wood of the cross. They look to the gold of the crown. For we no longer worship a babe in a manger. We do not even worship a suffering Savior on the cross. We worship a risen, ascended Redeemer, reigning on high, who will return to judge the living and the dead. The crib, the cross, and the crown. The crib reminds us of the incarnation. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The cross reminds us of why Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserve to die. The crown points to the return of the King of Kings and the eternal judge. The first time, Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. The next time, he will come as the Lion of Judah to conquer and to judge. The question is not, will you bow to Christ, but when will you bow to Christ? Will you bow to Christ today in the day of grace when forgiveness is freely available, when the door to heaven is wide open, or will you bow on the day of judgment when the door to salvation is firmly closed, when the day of grace is finally ended? We will either bow to Christ as Savior today, or we will bow to him as judge on that great and dreadful day of judgment. As we remember his birthday at Christmas, we should ask, 
What gift will you give the one whose birthday we are celebrating? What can you give to our Lord Jesus Christ? What gifts would be appropriate for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and the eternal judge, our Savior and our Redeemer? Andrew brought a little boy to Jesus and the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. He gave Jesus five loaves and two fish. That's what his mother seems to have packed for him that day. And with that little boy's lunch, the Lord Jesus fed thousands with the food he multiplied. Jesus can do a lot with a little. Our Lord Jesus pointed out that the widow gave more than all the rest. The widow's might may have looked very small in the eyes of those around, but the Lord, knowing how little she had, recognized that she had actually given everything she could. Mary gave Christ the gift of expensive perfume, anointing him for burial. Then Mary took a pint of pure nod, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, hosted Jesus in his home and honored him by making restitution and donating much of his riches to the poor. What can you give Jesus on his birthday? You can give him your attention. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What can you give the Lord Jesus Christ? You can give him your attention. Study his word. Learn his law. Get to know the word of God and get to know the God of the word. Meditate on his word, the Bible. Determine to put first things first. Bible before breakfast. Scripture before supper. Psalm before lunch. Read through the whole Bible this year. That'll actually only take you about 10 or 12 minutes a day to read four chapters of the Bible every day. There are 1,187 chapters in the Bible. If you read just four chapters a day, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in one year. How can you know his will unless you study his word, the Bible? To obey is better than sacrifice. Determine to obey God. Dedicate your life to obeying the cultural mandate of Genesis 1.28. Care for God's creation. Improve God's creation. Plant trees. Cultivate gardens. Adopt animals. Care for the environment. Martin Luther said if he knew that the Lord was coming tomorrow, he'd plant another tree today. Recognize that all animals belong to God. Treat animals with the care and the diligence of those who must give an account to the Creator and to the Eternal Judge. Be kind to God's animals. Ensure that animals have access to fresh, clean water and to good, healthy food. Do not waste food. Think of your pets, wild animals and other animals that can benefit. Do not litter. Recycle. Be thoughtful and considerate. Take the crumbs, leftovers from your breadboard and put on the lawn for the birds and the insects. I mean, why should we throw things in a dustbin? Why waste so much that can be blessing to others? Obey Christ's great commission. Dedicate your life to making disciples, teaching obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. Introduce others to Christ. Witness for Christ. Be alert to evangelistic opportunities. Give Christ your love. Give him your devotion, your worship, your adoration. Give him your heart and your mind and your hands and your feet. Devote your time. Devote your talents. Devote your treasure to Christ and his kingdom. Time, talents, and treasure. Use your initiatives and your energy to advance the kingdom of God. Be wholehearted and persevere to the end. And so, as we approach Christmas, let us ask, does Jesus have all of you that is to have? Jesus said that the widow gave all that she had. What have you given God? 
Have you made promises that you've gone back on? Have you made commitments that you've not honored? Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar and first go. Be reconciled with your estranged brother. Make that phone call. Write that letter. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness. There's bound to be people that you need to forgive. And there's bound to be people who uh, you need to ask for forgiveness. Do restitution. Repair what you broke. Return what you stole or borrowed and failed to return. Do restitution. These would be acceptable gifts and sacrifices of praise to present to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on his birthday. Make this your best Christmas ever. Jesus is the reason for the season. Wise men seek Christ. Give Christ your time, your talents, and your treasure. Give him your hands, your heart, and your feet. Give him your head, heart, and hands, your feet, your lips, your life. Give him your worship, your obedience, your sacrifice. Give him your attention. Give him your adoration. To obey is better than sacrifice. Do restitution. Be reconciled to your friends and family. Be generous. Be grateful. Recognize the many evangelistic opportunities all around you. We know families who use Christmas as an opportunity to uh, go to prisons and go in and, and share the gospel with prisoners on Christmas Day. What a, what a testimony that is. Uh, we've regularly baked Christmas cookies. Uh, my wife and daughters have baked the Christmas cookies and I and my sons have sometimes gone around to neighbors and, and delivered them to them on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve and gone to the police station and given him some cakes or cookies uh, on Christmas Day. We've sometimes gone with, with uh, gifts, fluffy toys and, and uh, uh, biscuits and so on to children in Red Cross Hospital uh, in the children's wards over uh, Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. There's so many things we can do. This is a season when you can approach absolute strangers or go and visit your neighbours that you haven't seen much during the last year and take them some Christmas gift and Christmas card there's so many ways, even with people far away and using social media, we can post God-honoring uh, posts and, and memes and messages and scriptures and pictures. Uh, don't settle for less than God's very best. Do not waste your life in empty boxes of the world. Let's not miss out on the best that God has. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. May God bless you this Christmas season. May God make you a blessing to all of those around you and let us remember that great Christmas verse in fact can I suggest if you have not thought of doing it listen to Handel's Messiah I mean wow what a presentation uh, what a phenomenal musical presentation all scripture uh, listen to Handel's Messiah watch a presentation if you can uh, watch a film like The Nativity Story or which is a very well produced film uh, or Ben-Hur, some, some great Christian classics like that. This is a good season to, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his governance and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. May God bless you. Please continue to pray for our mission. 
visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org and you will find other videos and audios. It's a great time to uh, look at some of these inspiring testimonies like Mitsuo Fushida, uh, the head of the Japanese attack in Pearl Harbor, and see the power of gospel literature that transformed him and turned him from a commander in the world's army uh, to being a commander in the Lord's army and a missionary and an evangelist. There's so much that we can learn and that we can do. Uh, there's so much that is worth seeing. Uh, visit the Frontline Mission SA.org website, uh, read up prayer and praise updates, the upcoming events. Pray for upcoming Biblical Worldview Summit from the 5th to the 11th of January and for the Great Commission course the first three weeks of next year. Uh, for those people who are wanting to transform the world, there are so many uh, people over the years who've come from far and wide, from Botswana and Canada, from Australia and America, from Ghana and Germany and Namibia and New Zealand, from Malawi and Mozambique, from Sudan and South Africa, from Zambia and Zimbabwe, to join other Christians dedicated to making Christ's Great Commission our supreme ambition at the foot of Africa in Cape Town, uh, at the foot of Table Mountain, although we do get to the top of it too as part of the course. It's a uniquely practical missionary course for all who desire to be more effective and innovative in cross-cultural evangelism and discipleship. Pray for our upcoming events, for the massive Bible distributions going on, for the youth conference going on uh, right this very week, starting in KwaZulu, Natal. Thousands of young people expect for that. Bible distribution projects that are on the go. There's many uh, projects and activities on the go at any time. People are coming to our literature for Africa stores uh, to load up with Bibles, New Testaments, Gospels, Sunday School materials. Let's do everything we can uh, to reach out to our neighbors and to bless our families during this Christmas season. Visit our www.frontlinemissionsa.org website for news on mission activities and also for more evangelistic discipleship uh, Bible studies you can, and even studies and summaries in every book in the Bible. You can go to livingstonfellowship.co.za and uh, get either audios, videos or links to PowerPoints. Uh, that are on there. There's also many tracts. We've got uh, over 70 tracts and in different languages too available on the livingstonfellowship.co.za website. May God abundantly bless you and strengthen you and make you a blessing. May God make us brave and bold for him and make us more effective in the service we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <laughs>